Welcome to the Life in the Stocks podcast, ladies and gentlemen. My name's Matt Stocks. I'm the host, and the show features unedited, in-depth, candid conversations with a wide range of musicians, actors, comedians, and creatives. If you're not already, be sure to subscribe to Life in the Stocks on your favorite podcast platform. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and indeed all major podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well, at MattStocksDJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live Q&A dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Still fucking with you. Still waters run deep. Still Snoop Dogg and DIA. Nah, nah, nigga. Guess who's back? Still. Still doing that shit, Andre? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Check me out. It's still Trey J, nigga. AK, nigga. Though I've grown a lot, can't keep it home a lot. So, Dan, I kind of feel like I already know you uh, because for the last 18 months, I've been rolling around the country with your old friends, Pritchard and Dayton, and we've been screening all these kind of unseen, unearthed archival videos from back in the day. And the Pritchard versus Dayton skate tape is obviously the thing that, you know, got the whole ball rolling. Uh-huh. Uh, and you make several appearances in that. Let's start there because a lot of people who listen to this show will have probably heard the Sanchez episodes. They'll be familiar with that story. And you're sort of a figure on the the periphery early on, right? Or oh, well, not even the periphery. You're smack bang front and center with the guys. Tell us about the recording of that tape of that place and time of the friendships there, and put us in the the scene of Pritchard versus Dayton back in was it 1999? Um. Oh, you got me there. Um, yeah, probably was nine. No, no, I think it might have been, it might have been 2000, but yeah, wh- whatever. Yeah. I mean, but that, that was, um, man, I'm so, so glad that, that we did that. And I, I was one of the, you know, it was a real, um, you know, at the time, especially it was a real honor to be asked, you know, I, I was working in this, this skate shop at the time. And I was just in there, sort of, kind of. It was, I think it was winter time, and I was kind of bored out of my brain. There's absolutely no customers, and I got this phone call, and it was Dayton. Um, and he just called me out of the blue, and he said, he exp- just explained it to me. He said, "We we we're 
we're going to make Pritchard versus Dayton. It's actually going to happen. And we've got this guy, this guy, blah, blah, blah. These guys are in it. And um, we, we want you to have a part. Um, what do you think? And I was like, yes, <laughs> I'm in. And um, they got this this guy, Dikey. Yep. Um, he he was the he was basically the sole film. Well, that Dane filmed as well, but uh, um, this guy Dikey and he, I don't know. We really like kind of bonded. A lot of people like. Um, I really kind of got to know Dayton better as well. Like I already knew him and Pritch. I'd known them for a long time, but through so you were through, friends of old at this point. Yeah, yeah, but obviously they weren't. I mean, oh God, it's it's hard to set the scene. Obviously, Pritchard was a was a was you know already a legend. He was, you know, in the early nineties, a lot of people would probably have put him in the top five skaters in the country. You know, most people would have. It, you know, so you know, just being associated with him for a start was was is a good thing. And obviously, um, if you've anyone who's ever met Pritch. You know, it, or Dane as well. Dane's kind of got a similar thing going on. Their personalities are just so warming. And it's you, a Welsh thing, isn't it? I think a big part of it is a Welsh thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a friendly in, nation. Yeah, in isn't all the it? in all the dozens and dozens of times that I've been to Wales, and I've I've put in some my time in Wales. Yeah. I've never had a bad time. So it could be a Welsh thing, but yeah. Also, they just got this kind of this this kind of magnetism and i think you know if you watch dirty sanchez that that that's i think that's what what carries the show through is their friendships isn't it and their their personalities as opposed to the the stunts themselves which were obviously highly entertaining and shocking well i mean some of it yeah i mean like but it really was just the interrelation of those guys wasn't it and the stuff they'd come out with yeah so i i pretty much like I I didn't I I was talking to Dane the other day actually and he I was saying oh so you you got four shows four there's four different seasons she's like no no there was six I was like six there's two that I haven't even seen and um so I never had Sky or whatever but you know when whenever I did see it like I was kind of like I remember especially the first series I was just like what exactly is going on here like like <laughs> and half of this is kind of like homoerotic yeah. like what, I mean what, what a lot of nakedness it's like is there any like, is there any need for this what the fuck is this but but you know still I'd, I'd be laughing and and um you know mainly I was just watching it just to see to see what they got up to and it's like oh this is this is it really happened you, you yes yes lads you're on mtv it yes. must have been a trip for you I as mean, a friend of theirs to see them kind of go from being you know perhaps as you say figures within the skate community and known in that regard but to then become like household names must have been a trip right it was it was yeah i mean it was it was uh it really really hit hit home when we went on this trip, um, it was the, it was called the Sleep When You're Dead tour, and it, but this is quite quite early on. So I think they would just done the f- maybe the first series, and it was a big tour. It was like about fifteen of us on this tour. It was two vans, and it was like it was a mixture of people from Globe, Kill City, 
and um, this clothing company that they started called Stimulus. So that's where where I came in. I, I was on it, and we were doing, um, you know, like demos and stuff, and and it, you know, it, it was they were kind of popular. But when we got to Nuki, and there's all these chavs everywhere, it it became insane. Like, just in the, they they couldn't move. They were just like oh. You know, people come up to, oh, can you sign, can you sign this, can you sign that, can you sign my Ralphie shirt, can you sign my girlfriend's tits, can you, can you do this, can you, can you slap me around the face, can you do that, like, and it was insane, and we had, everybody got these tour shirts, and me and the photographer from the, on the trip, which was Sam Ashley, we got these shirts, and we turned them inside out, and we got a marker pen, and we wrote Entourage, on them because we, <laughs> that's what you the, felt like yeah. yeah like the joke was it's like being puff daddy's entourage <laughs> yeah 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 it was just insane and that's what and it really hit hit me that that oh they've really done it yeah this is you know this is amazing but um back back to um Pritchard versus Dayton yeah the the y- you know we I don't know like I go long periods of time where especially Pritchard, I, I won't see him because it, he's so busy now with all the stuff that he does. But um, there has been a couple of times um, in the last few years where I was in Wales and I, I got to hang out with him and Dane and uh, Dikey as well. And the, the four of us, we're kind of just, we've just totally got a bond and it all comes from making that video. And at that time, I was... I mean, I've never been the most amazing skateboarder. I'm probably the weakest skater in it, in the actual video. But at that time, I was really, really motivated. And, you know, I said, you know, I'm going to do a part. And if I say I'm going to do, you know, I want to give it my best, whatever. And plus, all you need is somebody who's motivated. You just need somebody to work with you and encourage you and and Dikey was that guy and half the time it was just me and him on our own doing our own as it is when you're filming you know the other skaters get their time with him or whatever but but I always like really cherished those times and I did I definitely did the best skating I had ever done up until that point for that video and I was really happy with my part I loved it and, and the fact that, you know, Pritch and Dane, they kind of m- promoted it, you know, off the scale for, any, you know, it was, it was such a, so much more hype than, than any other British video that had come before it. Pritch marketed the fuck out of it, didn't he? I think so, yeah. yeah well, and, and, and Dane, you know, you know how clever Dane is, you know, they, they know what to, know. I think Pritch was still learning then. Like, because if you watch the, the kind of the, um, the dynamic between those two, you know, Dayton's, he's the clever one. He's always pushing Pritch's buttons sort of thing. I he's think like he, the director, isn't he? The master manipulator. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I think he like had a kind of business head for how it would work and, and what you had to do like really early, early on. So I think there he might have had, um, no, don't quote me on that. I was going to say they might have had a PR company, but no, I don't think they did, but they just kind of, excuse me. How's that tea going down, Dan? You love it. Yeah, it's going, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's all right. Um, but yeah, I, and and the, you know there was a massive premiere in Newport, 
Um, and at the time, I was going out with this girl who lived in, in Newport. So I was there all the time. It just, just by coincidence, it just, all these things kind of, so I was spending a lot of time in, in, in Wales and, um, you know, I, I knew a lot of people there and, and I was seeing Pritch and Dane all the time and, and, um, yeah. And, and then, and then we had this, this big premiere in a real, like proper full size public cinema. Um, and they turned up in a, in a limo and, um, yeah, it was, uh, the rock stars had then arrived, you think? Well, I mean, (laughs) they didn't even, you know, they were kind of, didn't really know the ropes then obviously of course yeah i think you know, they that, just sort of learned came, on the job but, didn't they yeah and then um I, I was just gonna say i remember the the night when they'd had this the, the first meeting at mtv and pritch dane and dykey they they came back we had this house in harrow um skate house and um they they came back and they were saying, oh yeah, we've had this this interview, this uh, meeting and and um, Dikey went to the toilet and then he got lost and then it, like <laughs> yeah, actually, if you know Dikey, he's basically like the Welsh Frank Spencer. So they they were kind of they were trying to get Dikey in there as the as the uh, I don't know one of the filmers or something and they weren't sure who was going to be in it or whatever and. Was the conversation ever put to you? Do you want to be a part of the TV show? Well, they were kind of... Because like, you're quite a main character in the, the P versus video yeah. and you are a character in that sense of the word, in that tape as well. Like, you know, yeah. there's clips of you eating a fake severed limb and like screaming orders at Pritchard to like do more push-ups. Because yeah, 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 yeah. they obviously didn't have a cast in mind for the TV show, did they? It sort of just happened by a series of events. Was there ever a conversation with you and them? And were you ever tempted or... Um, there was like a conversation where they were going to try and take. At one point, they were like, "Oh well, we want to try and take everybody from the video and 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 all this stuff." But obviously, that didn't. Pan, you know, they they had this meeting with MTV. MTV told them what they wanted, and and they just had this one chance, and and you know that that's that that's what they went with. But um, you know, when you look at the show, I mean. I couldn't have done any of that stuff, walking around naked and whatever the hell it was that they were doing. Like I, I couldn't have done it. I, I just, I couldn't. Have. And also, they take it so well as well. I think I'd just like throw a moody. Yeah. For some of the, some like the abuse that Panch took. You know, I, I couldn't have done it. So I was. Um, it's the perfect quite, dynamic, isn't it, with yeah, the four of them? You know, I'd love to have been in an MTV show and got you know, paid for it and, and <laughs> all the rest of it. You but know, maybe was, not running around naked I'm sti- in nettles. I'm still, I'm still hoping. So, you know, MTV, if you're out there, you've you got a little niche for me. I'll, you know. Dude, you should do cribs with a house like this. This is an amazing house. <laughs> I love it. Um, yeah, I want to really. talk to you about your art, your history there. You're clearly somebody who's got a very, um, you know, developed skill when it comes to creation. Um, mm. There's some amazing prints around the wall, which assumedly, are these all yours as well? Uh, those are actual, um, no, I didn't do those. Didn't I, do bought, those I bought those in North Korea. They're just propaganda, uh, posters. <laughs> they're so bizarre, aren't they? Yeah. Especially that one. They're, they're, if you look at United. them, they're, they're hand painted. Yeah I, yeah. I don't think there's many, um, printing presses that still run. I think that might be the. The Stalin one out there is you though, isn't it? And that is a beautiful piece. So did you study at university? Did you train? 
in the yeah. the art of art. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, it was. Um, yeah, I went to uh, London Metropolitan University in East London. You grew up in Hertfordshire. You were telling me, right? I grew up in Hertfordshire. Yeah, in a small town, um, a market town called Ware, and I was. Um, well, I was born uh, in a house that uh, my, my next door neighbour was Dave Allen. So, um, the um, who, if you don't know, is a very well-known British vert skater, and uh, so that's my connection. That that's what got me into skating eventually. Right. So he was a bit older, was he? And was he like an inspiration yeah. figure early on? Kind of, yeah, yeah. So anyway, um, I yeah, I'm from I guess. Hertfordshire is the home counties, so I'm from the the home counties, don't you know? <laughs> and um, although it was just a council estate where <laughs> I grew up, but um, and then uh, and then my, you made the move to London. Yeah, my parents, I um, my mum, my dad left really early on when I was about one. I never really got to know him, um, and my mum remarried, and um. Uh, as often is the case with these things, you know, I didn't particularly take to the, uh, you know, we didn't really see eye to eye the um, my new dad, mm -hmm. as it were. I was very fortunate. My so, parents divorced, but they never remarried or found other partners, which right, I guess was, right. you know, nice for me because I never had to go through that. Was right. that rough then? No, not really, because it happened so young. Um, no, I mean... And, I, you know, I never went without or anything. I mean, when I was sort of when, when I was about four, we were really poor. Uh, it's just we lived with my nan. It's just me, my mum and my nan. And um, obviously, when you're a kid, you're oblivious to it all. But there was t my mum did two jobs and, and there was times when that, you know, the electricity got cut off. And, you know, they were, they were obviously juggling the money for the bills. But when you're a kid, you are absolutely oblivious to that. And, you know my you know my, my fondest childhood well early childhood memories are definitely just you know living with my nan and my mum and and you know that's all I needed you know and then um yeah and uh, but I I was thinking about this the other day I never thought about it I think that um you even though so when I was sort of I, was about, I guess I was about five when when I got to know, I guess, what was going to be my new dad. And he was, he's, you know, he's an all right bloke. But um, I think already at the age of five, it was something I wasn't really, it was like a bit of a shock that all of a sudden I've got a dad and I've got to do, you know, he's telling me dad things and, <laughs> you know, he, he's kind of the, the discipline that I guess that all children need. But um, like I say, even at the age of five, I, I was kind of like, oh, I'm not really into this. Felt like <laughs> It felt like an imposter. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, like, I mean, I, it's, you know, there was no problems other than we just, as the, the older I got, the more it became apparent that we just didn't have a single thing in common and, you know, we couldn't be more different sort of thing. So anyway, at the end of it, uh, when I was about 18, um, 
they put the house up for sale and my dad goes to me, um, we're, well, eventually it sold. And he said, we're moving next week and you're not coming with us. <laughs> In no uncertain terms, <laughs> yeah. this is what's happening. Like that wasn't like, I already knew they were going, but all of a sudden, like the house was on the market for ages and ages. And it seemed like it would never happen. And, you know, I was just being 18 and dusting about. And, and then I had like a week to kind of sort things out. Anyway, the only place I could find was this kind of like shared house in Archway. And I just, I was just went, I went to London and, um, I lived there for like, I don't know, nearly a year, I guess. That's like North London on the edge of Camden for anyone who's not, uh, familiar with, um, the geography of London. Um, <laughs> but, and then I was kind of like, this, this was, um, the mid nineties. So it was just before, um, like a lot of skaters started migrating to, you know, it's just before skating had a had a sort of new lease of life and it started booming and a lot of skaters um, from, you know, all other parts of the country started to migrate to London. So... Like you would if you're a musician chasing that yeah, rock and roll yeah, dream. It it's like, really, gotta be where the action is. Yeah, yeah. But it hadn't really started. So I was a little bit ahead of the curve as far as that goes. And you're kind of you know london is a can be a very lonely place you know yeah i feel like if you don't go there with a group of friends that you already know it yeah. could be one of the most isolating places on earth yeah because everybody is so wrapped up in their own life and they're so busy and it's not a very sociable city mm. i've never been out and like made new friends do you know what i mean like i'm and i'm a pretty outgoing sociable guy but it's mm. rare that you find people who are interested in making new friends mm. in london they're like mm. i've got my group it's my university friends or it's my work colleagues or mm. My yeah. school friends or whatever. Yeah. Um, so is it a bit of a weird period of adjustment or was it a fun time? Because you're sort of just thrown in. Yeah, and... it, uh, that, um, so Archway is, you know, it's basically the top of the Holloway Road, isn't it? Which is pretty grim and especially grim back then. And it was kind of depressing. We just living in a shitty house. What were your housemates like? Um, <laughs> they were... That says enough. Uh, it was kind of... Yeah, they were okay. Well, it was it not was, ideal. Yeah, it was. It was. They were all girls. Um, which um, yeah, I mean, it's okay, I guess. But I, yeah, it was just kind of shit living there. So basically, I um, uh, I started to become um friendly with the the group of skaters in Harrow. Um, and then it just the timing was right and they were looking to get a new house and I was like desperate to, to, to go somewhere else and just, you know, there was a group of skaters and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so I moved, I moved under their stairs and I lived under this, I had like a mattress under the stairs in their house in Harrow for, um, for uh, a couple of months. And then we, until we found a place and we all moved out together and we had this, um, well, it was a new beginning, I guess, you know. Was that what would become the Death House? Uh, was that later on? No, well, Nick, who owns Death, he did live there at one point. Um, um, so, yeah, it was like when I moved into the original house in Harrow, it was, it was um, Ghana, me, Bullet, and Chris Wolf, And then um, uh, me, Ghana, and Chris Wolf, and this guy... 
Justin, we we got this other house. And then you know how it is in a in a shared house, like people move out with their girlfriends, and it gets, you know it's one in one out, whatever. Anyway, it it ended up being um, this like our group was called the. It became known as the Death Squad. This is like before Death Skateboard started. It's like kind of like a joke name, but it was, we were all like it was all Death Squad members. It's me, Nick, uh, J Bone, and Chris Wolf, and uh, and then I. Yeah, somebody moved out, and then Ginger Steve moved in. So it was like, there's some real characters in that house. It's like pretty, pretty rad. Um, and I was about 21 at this time, and we were just literally skating all the time. I used to, I was just, um, I was just on the dole, I think, at this yeah, point. Yeah, and, and just, literally just skating yeah, all day. Yeah, like really, day. really, you know, really putting in the hours. And, Did you graduate? Did you? Oh, of, we're talking about. Did uni. you com- did you complete university? Oh, I hadn't. Yeah, that came way later. <laughs> oh, well, oh like, okay. So you didn't like go straight recently. from out of home. Oh, right, yeah, right, so right, anyway, right. Okay, so yeah, we'll, we had we'll get to that then. And, and I assume you would have gone when you were eighteen. No, and, no, right, no right. chance. Oh, so no, no, eighteen is just skating and hanging yeah, out. Yeah, yeah. I yeah. absolutely. There's no way. Like when I I used to say to the people when I finally went to uni at the age of thirty four. <laughs> oh, right, right, right. <laughs> uh, I used to like the people who had come straight from sixth form or whatever. I used to say like. And especially the ones that were doing good work, I I say like, you know, fair, you know, more power to you. Like I couldn't have, I could never have done this at your age. Like, but anyway, so yeah, I, I was literally just living and breathing skateboarding. Anyway, and then um, and then uh, what happened? Uh, I left finally left the house and I went to America for months and then for months, yeah, like quite a while. Like I overstayed and I had to, uh, you know, you only get that 90 days visa. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In those days, it, it wasn't all this electronic shit. There was no 9-11 hadn't start. Had, of course, had, had yeah. Anywhere. So you could like, if you ended up overstaying, you could um, do this trick where uh, the the little green visa waiver that, that you, you have to keep the other side of it, it's got the date that you entered the... Um, the country that, that that you keep that in your passport but if you put that through the wash obviously it becomes illegible mm-hmm. so you can just go to the desk when you're flying home on your new flight and say oh yeah this is in my you know i washed it it's in my trousers and there's just like no there's no way of proving there's no question i mean simpler times right dan yeah i mean you might have been <laughs> you might have been interrogated maybe if you're flying out of lax because that's really hot there but if you're flying out of like, well, I did it out of San Francisco and that was fine. But anyway. So what so, took you out to the state skateboarding? Like yeah, you wanted to get yeah, to the Mecca and. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. And then. Um, Tell me about that time. That we must have been, had some uh, crazy adventures. Which one? Which, I mean, over the years, <laughs> I think I've been to America now probably. Have you been to every state yet? No, no. no. I wish. I wish. But um, main, main, mainly just a lot of time up and down California. Yeah. But, but I have been... Um, God, I mean, tell me about America. It's like... Well, <laughs> well here, here, here's a way we can go in because I speak to a lot of um, punk musicians who say that back in the day you could just write to your heroes, say Henry Rollins or, you know, and they would get back to you and you would become pen pals oh yeah right so did you have any of that kind of a relationship with us pro skaters like yeah did you reach yeah. out to any yeah, of them that, that, pre-internet the first time and... i did it um when i was the first time i went when i was i was still living with my parents 
this was not long before they moved away. But I um so my basically my favourite skater at the time was Simon Woodstock. And like you say, you know, all the all the ads in the magazines they just had the uh send self-addressed envelope for stickers. So you could just you get the company's address and you can you write to it. And I put together this insane letter with all kinds of like clippings and photos and stuff. Like I mean I wish I had a copy of it now. It's like I don't know what it read like to, to you know, I don't know what he must have thought of it on the other end, but <laughs> I showed it to my friend and I said, Do you think this before I sent it, I was like, Do you think this will do the trick? And he, he sort of read through it and he's sort of laughing. And he said, well, I don't know, but, you know, if anything will we'll get a response, it'll be this. <laughs> and sure enough, he wrote back to me and basically said, you know, if you, um, yeah, if you come to America, st- come by. He, the, the, the company he wrote for at the time was Sonic. So he said, come by Sonic and we, and we can hang out whatever and i took that as i can go through america and stay for two months in the warehouse no questions asked sort of thing with my mate who right. i haven't even t- told him about so anyway me and this guy like who i mean I, I he was slightly older than me and he was a bit of a bastard i didn't especially like him really but that much <laughs> um well he, he had his moments but he yeah anyway we went to America and I had never been on a plane before and neither of us wanted to go to America on our own. So we ended up going to America together and we were a nightmare to anybody that put us up. We literally, we didn't have enough. We had no money for any hotels. We had, it's just a standard, you know, um, young skateboarder um, USA trip scenario basically that you 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 know you got no idea what you're going to do once you get there yeah we're going there for like it's going on good two, faith we're staying for two months or it might even have been 10 weeks and we had about a thousand pounds each maybe so absolutely no room for any getting any hotels anything and um got there and we we phoned up sonic and we they came and Somebody who worked there in the sales department actually came and picked us up and we got there and I think Simon Woodstock, yeah, they told us to just sit in his office. He had this big office with like pinball machine and couch and stuff. He's kind of living the dream because it's only a small company, but he was basically the bread and butter for the company. He he sold most of the boards basically. So they, they, he had just free reign. And they had like a little skate park, you know, like a ledge and, and quarter pipe and a flat bank in the warehouse. And um, we were waiting in his office and then he came in to work. Well, I say work loosely. Yeah, he showed up. He came in <laughs> for some reason at about like, God, like probably midday or something. And um, <laughs> it's amazing that you got to just there, hang out and wait for him, though. Yeah, hi, how you doing? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Remember uh, me? I'm yeah, the collage I'm, kid. I'm Dan. You're like, please to me. It's like, and now he's just, you know, he's got a deal with us. And, um, so he... Was he receptive? Yeah. I mean, he's a good guy. I mean, I must admit, like anybody, his patience only goes so far. 
and you know but but yeah i mean he, he came in and, and he's like oh yeah yeah come on we'll we, we, we just go skating now and I'll get you out of the guys, office basically show you guys around <laughs> San Jose and, and, and we and we went to um he took us to, i think the first spot he took us to was that um because obviously this is the uh early 90s and there hadn't been they weren't building any skate parks so the one skate park that they did have in the probably the whole of the, that area was Paolo Alto so he took us there and then he took us to like this rad backyard mini ramp that's in the in the first anti-hero video i think and then like a nut like a backyard this bowl that was in this kid's garden and some other shit and we then we went to 7-eleven and got like slurpees that were bigger than my torso like big gulps yeah yeah and uh just like a proper american dream yeah 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 and then <laughs> i think all the boxes I think that night he um he they were a- a- editing a, a Sonic commercial for the, n- the new 411 mag- video magazine. And in those days, they, they, there was nobody with computer software or anything like that. They had to hire an editing suite for the evening. And, and it was quite late at night. Like, it was about six o'clock when we went in there. And me and my mate just were sat in on, on, on there. They were, they were putting this advert together on this, this like an editing suite that's like the size of this, my lounge. You know, massive, massive, like. Are they doing it on tape as well, almost. of course, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we did that. And then I think Simon had a date or something. So, and he said, oh, yeah, you can just stay at Sonic or something, which I don't think they were. Like the people who run it, like which was um, Gavin and Corey O'Brien, which um, obviously Corey O'Brien's a legendary Santa Cruz pro from the eighties. Um, they they ran it, but I, I, I don't think they're that stoked on like two random dudes sort of just dossing in the. But they they let us stay there, and then that's incredible, isn't it? I mean, you yeah. can't really picture that happening now. Yeah, and we live in such a different time, such a different world. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Let alone picture two months of it. Oh my god! My my mate was a bit of a liability, and he 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 was a smoker, and he fell asleep on top of the quarter pipe. No, there was a couch on top of the quarter pipe, and he fell asleep on it one afternoon with his lit cigarette, which and he caught the the sofa on fire. So yeah, there was all kinds of like real nightmare stuff that we were just dicks because we didn't know any better you know anyway when we get, and he palmed us off on um eventually on this guy who was also like a like a rookie pro for the company mike crabtree he's really really cool guy and we lasted three weeks at his house and bearing in mind he lived with his girlfriend and they had a roommate who's like like a, he was a skater as well or, or, or an ex-skater but he was like a kind of a normal guy mm-hmm. and they just had these two fuckwits you know living I and mean, we were like in the middle of the night we'd be at, like having a, a full-on fight or something in the lounge and like wake everyone up you're like they, fucking beavis and butthead like just didn't oh, give a we shit dicks. honestly we just didn't we hadn't learned no respect huh <laughs> well i mean yeah well i mean i definitely res- respected everybody that i was around you know i didn't want to you know we some of the people were like legends you know mm-hmm. so who else did you meet around that time then 
Um, there was all there was. I mean, one time we, when we got thrown out of there, <laughs> we had to go into this legendary kind of. Oh, what's it? Uh, I can't remember the number, but it is it on. Uh, I don't know. It's this legendary place where loads of pro skaters lived, and at the time. Andy Roy's girlfriend lived there and Andy Roy lived there sometimes and Jason Adams had just moved out and we had to go and kind of like live in their basement and that was that was yeah that was a bit of a nightmare because my this guy that I went there with are you purposefully avoiding mentioning his name um (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah he will remain nameless yeah yeah he he, how can I say this? I, I don't really want to lower the tone, but he took a dump in the toilet. Right, and as totally you do. just, we, all we ate all day was like Taco Bell. So mm. we were like pretty much like... Just walking poison. We were ill. <laughs> and uh, we ate Taco Bell and Twinkies and that's pretty much it. So he blocked up the toilet, like well and truly just like cemented the toilet. <laughs> he's like, I don't know what he's doing, but and it was a big bathroom as well. And he just kept flushing the toilet. Bearing in mind, we weren't really supposed to be staying there. We just literally walked into these people's house, went down in the basement and just like hid and just stayed there. And um, he came back down and didn't, and he was just like, just like nothing had happened. And then somebody came down and said, um, have any of you guys used the toilet because it's like flooded and there's shit everywhere? And I'm like, uh no <laughs> I but, I, but i can take one guess who has and i was just like what the fuck are you doing like you know and then so we got thrown out of there for like because he covered their bathroom in shit fucking hell anyway um what, what, what were you saying um oh yeah like skaters yeah so there's all these people about like crazy eddie andy roy um god jason adams uh we skated with a little bit um um, Nanda Zip, Kit Erickson, we met. Um, who impressed God. you the most at that time as a skater? Who did you like watching the most? I don't know. <laughs> it was a long time ago, I can't remember now. Um, did you meet Matt Hensley out there then? Yeah, yeah. So, anyway, we got thrown out of basically everywhere in the whole of San Jose, and then we, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of mainly going to blame this guy for that <laughs> yeah you can do that he's not here <laughs> but yeah you'd outstayed you welcome it was time to move adam on. if you're listening yeah i was a nightmare as well i know <laughs> but um what was i gonna say so yeah so we had to get out of there because we'd like exhausted most uh avenues you know so we had to get a flight to san diego and this guy that i was with he was like kind of like a Matt Hensley freak, and it, it was just before like everybody in the and their dog had tattoos. But he had a tattoo of a Matt Hensley graphic, um, on his arm. So when Matt Hensley Matt Hensley came over on, um, you know the when um, they had the the second i think the second um british championships at radlands where all the pros came along and he met matt hensley and he showed him the tattoo and matt hensley is 
probably one of the coolest people you ever meet. Um, and but, but basically, he's like really kind of flattered that you know the, my mate had got this this tattoo, and they um, uh, somehow they um, stayed in touch, and and um, my mate had his number. So we called him up and sort of said, "Yeah, it's uh, blah blah blah. We're yeah, uh, we're coming to San Diego. Is it all right if we stop by yours or whatever?" Because <laughs> <laughs> we're looking for like, a yeah, place yeah, to crash. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So we we get to we we got the address. I mean, he, he, my mate took care of all of this. This is this is all him. I don't know how it came about, but he had the address. This was his um, sort of hookup, as it were. And we we um, get a taxi from the airport to Matt's house, knock on the door, and go in, and you know we we're like basically welcomed with open arms, you know, and um. And is he huge at this point as well? This he'd um he'd already retired. Okay. So this is post huge. Right. Um. This was when he, I think he was. At that time, he he. So when Plan B started, that's he had a board or two out, I think, and then he retired. And um, uh, then he, I think he at the time when we were there, he was the Plan B team manager, or he was doing something at Plan B. So he was, um, and this is when Duffs had started, and that was like the new cool shoe or whatever. And he, um, I think the next day he had to go to World Industries because that's where the boards were made and I think he phoned up the house phone when he was there um, and because he lived with his brother his Chris Hensley so it's Chris and Matt lived there and I think maybe Chris answered and and, and uh, passed us the phone and, and Matt is Matt and he said oh what what size shoe are you whatever and then he we told him and then he came back from World and he had like gifts basically like and we both got a pair of duffs each and and stuff like that and then the next day we went to um plan b and we just sort of hung out there and the next few days we hung out at plan b which is basically just a industrial unit it's somewhere in um sandy sandy some i can't even remember what area of san diego it was but um but it had danny way's vert ramp there um and the plan b mini ramp was behind it so we'd basically go we'd go into work with matt matt would be doing whatever he's doing in the office we'd hang out with the shipping guy and they had one shipper for some reason i don't know and he never seemed to be doing anything i don't know if they were not selling many boards at the time (laughs) or what but anyway so we hung out with him drove him kind of mad um but he kind of he liked us and then when it got to the afternoon and things started to wind down a bit because it's really relaxed there you could skate the mini ramp we skate the mini ramp and then we'd be skating there for like a couple of hours and then Matt would come out and, and it'd be really rad when Matt would do all these um, tricks down the side of the mini ramp like he does in that um, Not the New Age Street video at the beginning on the on the, on the side of that full pipe. And that, 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 I loved that. And that really like kind of made me want to do all that sort of stuff. But anyway, and then um, late, later on, so probably around about four o'clock, say, um, the pros would start turning up to skate the vert ramp. And they'd be like Tony Hawk, Tom Boyle, Tuss Puppus, Bill Weiss, Mike Crum. And then one time, um, I think this is when they're filming the flip industry section for four and one. Uh, Andy Scott and Rune turned up. And of course, we knew them, 
you know from 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 Radlands or whatever. So that was that was I got to hang out with him, hang out with him a bit, and um, um, yeah. And then there's all, and another thing, another thing that happened is uh, we um, we went to the supermarket one day with with Matt. And obviously, you know, in America, the supermarkets got all this rad shit that you don't have in 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 the UK, and they had every a, flavor of pop tarts ever. Yeah, all this all this crazy <laughs> stuff. But they have kind of like I don't know if it was Walmart or Kmart or whatever on the side of it, or we ended up somewhere that had all this good stuff. And they had um, Matt. They had a load of it was VHS videos, and um, Matt bought Clockwork Orange and a Gigi Allen live concert video. And then we watched that. We, we went back to the house and we watched those. And he was trying to explain to us about Gigi Allen because that was, I mean, I'd never heard of him. It's more of like an American phenomenon. Yeah, he never really made it out of the States yeah. until much later on. And obviously the internet. <laughs> yeah, probably for the best. He, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so he's, we, he, he basically introduced us to Gigi Allen, which I thought was amazing. He was doing all this stuff like, I think he, in this one video, he, he knocks someone out with the mic stand and all the standard Gigi Allen stuff. It was amazing. But then we watched um, Clockwork Orange as well, and I'd always wanted to see that. Because and that had a reputation, didn't it, as being this kind of, well, like a yeah. banned video. Yeah, yeah. It was hugely controversial, yeah. and it was one of those, like, exciting, un, like, unattainable, Yeah, I need to see that. Because it was banned in the UK for years, wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and yeah, so, so quite the day, Gigi Allen, Clockwork Orange, yeah, at yeah, yeah, house. yeah, just we were just getting educated, basically, yeah, and um, ah, oh, and the good thing about Matt is that apart from being the coolest guy in the world, and like obviously really, really patient to put up with us two for <laughs> you know, more patient than everyone that had come before him, it seemed ten well. days or whatever yeah. it was, yeah, he um. But he was always kind of like quizzing us on 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 British stuff because he's like kind of he was a he's basically a, a mod himself and yeah he was telling us about you know when he comes when he came to England he he spent like lo- loads of money in in Carnaby Street at the uh, well it was called the Merc that you know the mod store and um he's still he, a sharp dressed man isn't he I'm sure yeah 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 I mean I haven't seen him for quite a long time now but um. I just did a tour with him last year with Flogging Molly. And yeah. Yeah, he's, he's just... We didn't get a lot of time together, but in the moments we shared, like backstage, in between sets, just very zen, very calm. Yeah. Very patient, as you say, generous with his time. Mm. Like a very active mind. Like an, he's interested in you. You know, mm. when you're like talking, you feel like you're actually connecting and sharing a conversation yeah. as opposed to just, yeah, I'm tolerating this and then I'm going to go and... Yeah. This moment now, yeah, that, yeah, that, that, yeah. Which is like kind of... I don't want to like sound lame here, but that yeah, having that as an American is it 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 kind of I, I think having that that trait of being able to listen as well as talk yeah it's and... not yeah it's not it's not something I vastly associate with a lot of Americans that <laughs> and you're a travelled man so you can say that so, yeah. you're not coming from a place of ignorance yeah so he was he was because he he was just something else because he knew about English stuff and he was interested and he had a good sense of humour which you would have to have if you had two idiots in your house <laughs> from the UK and you know we, we just talked about cool stuff and um, 
Yeah, that was it. Yeah, it was good. But I remember one one day there was a knock at the door, and I answered the door, and it was um, Dan Sturt, which is like I mean I don't know if you know anything about Dan Sturt, but he's like a really mega mega legendary um, skate photographer. But also he is not known for being a he's a freak, like real weird dude. And I opened the door and he just looked at me and I said, hello, (laughs) my high voice and English accent. And he was just, and he just looked at me. He goes, who are you? I said, "Um, I'm Dan. I'm just staying here. Uh, We're from the UK. And he's like, and he like looked me up and down and and he said, are you pro? And I said, no. (laughs) And he just kind of like pushed past me and came into the house. Amazing. But he was with... Um, Are you pro? No. Get out the way then. Yeah, he was with Rodney Mullen. Wow. And Jeremy Ray. Wow. And he came round. I don't know why they came round, but maybe just, I don't know, maybe see Matt, but Matt didn't go out. And so we just went in the van with these three. And so that was quite eye-opening. Yeah. That's a pretty crazy day. Yeah. That Bones Brigade documentary is incredible. I love it. Oh, yeah. I just recently yeah, I purchased that. Yeah. Yeah. He's a deep dude, isn't he, Rodney Mullen? There's a lot going on yeah. there. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, even then, he had like well, what looked like algebra homework that he was doing, even though he was, I mean, he would be making really good money as a skateboarder at the time. Um, yeah, he, he's uh, yeah. This is there's a there's a lot more. There's another dimension to him. Yeah, mm. for sure. Yeah. A lot can happen in the next three years, like a chatbot, maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Uh, what's the favourite part you've ever filmed in any video? Is there one that stands out as your proudest crowning oh, yeah. moment? Yeah, so there is... I've lost count of how many there are. Um, there is a lot. Uh, I, I uh, think a rough guess? I mean, it's 20-odd, I think, if you count all the different things that I've 
worked on. But um, look, my best is Sir Squadrophenia. Definitely. Dude, that video is... You, I can't remember how you described it in another video that I saw, but you said it's like the pikey Dogtown and Z-Boys or something like that. Yeah. Or, yeah, it kind of is, yeah. Or the... Yeah. That and it's <laughs> it's a fucking masterpiece. Like it really for for what it is, it is just the most perfect encapsulation of the gang mentality behind skateboarding, the the total punk rock, like yeah. DIY fuck you, I'm just gonna do it no matter if it's like we're skating this piece of shit unskatable <laughs> like area, we're just gonna fucking, you know, do it and have fun. It's just there's a real spirit to that film which i think captures for me i've never been a skateboarder but i've always been fascinated with skate culture and it's very similar to punk culture to me you know it is about mm. just kind of creating a lifestyle that you can right. you know yeah. live by your own terms you can be free you can make a living doing what you love with people you love and it's it's fucking funny it's <laughs> it's so well made and like this like it's a great comedy video as well as a great yeah. skate video and we wow. used to watch it all the time growing up it's no a wicked video way. big fan wow. what's the name of the mascot dude he used to make me laugh Gibble. so hard amazing yeah just brilliant yeah. he's value for money in that. yeah um yeah well i mean wow thank you very much for that um um very flattering um <laughs> From the heart, dude. Yeah. From the heart, it's brilliant. And <coughs> yeah. you, got, you produced and directed that as well, didn't you? Uh, yeah, that was that was my. As much as you do produce doing. and direct a, a film of that style. Yeah, yeah I mean, <laughs> I, I had only had a cheap video camera, but I had a plan, and I was that the second death video. Um, well, the actual there was Death Squad the movie, which yeah. isn't. It, it was endorsed by Death. But there's, um, it's, it, no, it, it, there's hardly any Death Riders in it. I mean, and that was right at the beginning of Death when it, it didn't even have a really a proper team. So it's just called Death Squad the movie, uh, the first one, because some we were this is nothing to do with the company Death either. Um, we our group of friends, we somebody nicknamed us. The Death Squad. Because you're a bunch of fucking troublemakers, was it? I, <laughs> God, no, I don't even know why. What? I don't know how it... I don't know. But I don't know what was going on. But <laughs> for some reason, we were... I guess just a bunch of characters, re- right? Yeah, somebody who wasn't particularly keen on us said to somebody else, oh, look, it's the Death Squad. And you're when like... When we turned up at It's meant to park. be an, in- an insult, but you're like, brilliant, we'll take that on, we'll wear that with pride. Yeah, yeah. and then I can't remember <laughs> if it was me or it was just someone else or it was just like a general thing it was accepted we're the, we are the death squad now because we've been named yeah so we called ourselves the death squad and it's basically um it's uh me zorlak jay bone uh chris wolf martin herrick and ginger steve um and they're the guys you mentioned earlier that you were all living together right yeah yeah um and then and uh <laughs> carnage yeah and this guy that we were hanging out with at the time was like, he actually worked professionally as a video editor. And he filmed and edited it, but he filmed it. If you ever watched Death Squad the movie, it's filmed kind of like a professional has filmed it. So it's got, you know, you see the expression on people's faces and, and, and the reaction to certain things. And it's, it's 
it's really put together professionally rather than trick, 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 ender, yep. you know, slow-mo, after black, whatever. So um, I think at the time, there hadn't, certainly hadn't really been anything British that was made in that way. And a lot of people took notice of it. And a lot of people who just into skating for the for the right reasons they just you know want to well that's the other thing i love about the whole death like aesthetic is you're not trying to be the cool kids and there's always been that element to skateboarding where some of them are like too cool for school kind of a bit aloof and you guys were clearly just a gang of individuals all completely different from one another there's none of that sort of hipster i'm too cool for school attitude it's just i love having fun skateboarding hanging out with my friends taking the piss yeah and it kind of captures all of that doesn't it yeah so I mean that came out I think that came out in 90 early 99 maybe that did it and then we always talked about making a second one but that that guy who made it he just kind of like just disappeared um so you know it became apparent that somebody was going to have to take it into their own hands and I I kept thinking about it and I was thinking like you know we got a good thing here and you know you don't know how long it's going to last and I think if I applied myself and I kind of applied some sort of principles from modern skate videos to it and I got Mark Nicholson to edit it with me because he could he was learning special effects and stuff and, and all the rest of it I was thinking I could probably make something that'd be really special. And so I got this like, it's filmed on like a 400 pound Panasonic video camera, like a one chip camera. And I, I mean, you can kind of see it in some of the shots. I didn't even know about <clears throat> white balance. Yeah. Or, white yeah, balance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that again, it lends yeah. itself to the charm of the, of the film, I think. Yeah. And then we just, we, we, I mean, I had to get, so I mean, like I was, I was talking about Daiki before, he filmed some of my stuff, and um, I can't even remember how I got my stuff filmed. Like, so you film all the other parts? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they and they were people that didn't really want to be filmed. They didn't care about being in a video. They didn't, you know, when when I'd be filming them, like Herrick would be saying to me, like, like why, you know, why are we Hollywooding? you know <laughs> stuff like that and i'll be like chris can you do that again and he'd be like oh for fuck's sake no yeah you know and um like you're a nuisance rather than a, yeah a like i and i had to just well if something's going on i had to i had to take it as it as it, you know i had to take what i could get and 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 make sure i was on point you know and and i did i you know it's all kinds of things where i'm just poking the camera in people's faces and it, I'm, I'm kind of just doing anything to to, to ga- gather footage that sort of shows us and, and what happens because yeah. I knew that that we had a good thing going on. Anyway, um, eventually we're ready to to go on it. I've got a box of about I don't know a hundred and something DV tapes, and I even I was so paranoid because I put all this work into it, and I had like lists of of what was going to go together and how we get the sections, how it's going to run, and uh, like a logbook and all this stuff. And I was so paranoid about something happening to the tapes that I bought a fireproof safe box, <laughs> lockable, and it had all the tapes in it. And anyway, so I got Mark Nicholson. Um, I, I, I need, you know, I needed Mark 
There's no well, the way. edit is there a great is no edit. question. I could, I could, there would be no Squadrophenia without Mark because I, I didn't press any of those buttons on the computer. Well, he's I in the video, isn't he? And you see all his equipment, and it's like <clears> for, for its time, it was pretty high tech shit, wasn't it? Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, but but so anyway, he he he's um we we after I'd got the um you know enough footage of the of the of the rest of them after I'd like you know coerced them into complying just enough uh we set about getting our footage and i, I said mark you know you're gonna have to have a section because i wanted him to be into it I, I, I wanted him to get the most out of it you know and he's a, one of my favorite skaters anyway so <clears throat> you know i thought if the guy making it's got a section and it's a good one he's you know he's gonna be more driven to to want to get this out with me you know and anyway so we pretty much nailed it with, with we got our footage and um <clears throat> he i bought him a computer desk and i paid to upgrade his computer with whatever it is you upgrade it with i guess ram is it memory is it and ram and whatever <laughs> other stuff and he's is said ram it, still a thing i don't even know whether it is i don't know <laughs> <laughs> it's never been a thing in my book but. so anyway so he basically moved his computer into my bedroom and that was the you know that was the editing suite so um and then we he'd basically come to my house probably on a say a monday or tuesday and he'd leave on a friday night and he'd be basically you know i would i would three days a week i used to work from the house because that's where power distribution is based so i'd be packing all the boards and sending them out so i only worked downstairs and then depending on what time because I'd be asleep and he'd be still working into the night at the end of the bed. <laughs> and then he'd like sleep on the floor in a sleeping bag or sleep on the couch or whatever. And then, so when it came to, he'd probably get up about, I don't know, like 11 or something. I'd like take him a cup of tea and wake him up and like sit him at the computer and say, right, we're doing Chris Wolf's part today. And you've, you, and I'd have his work list that I'd made. And then I'd do my work, send out all the, the, the orders and stuff and then when that was done I'd go back upstairs and he'd like have a break to watch the Simpsons or whatever and <clears throat> we'd sit on it until the, the early hours of the morning and it was you know it's literally and we'd bounce ideas off each other and he's got like the same sort of sense of humour as me and I made a feature yeah. length documentary film for a band called Airborne and that what you're oh, describing yeah. there is my favorite part of the process is those all nighters. Oh. I'm the same in that I produced and directed it, but I can't edit, but I can edit in my head. So I know yeah. what I want. I just don't know how to do it on a yeah, computer. Yeah. So I had my friend Joe Brady, who was the same equivalent to, to what you're doing there. Oh. You're sort of going, I want this, this, I see it this way. And when you have someone actually who can not only just like be a machine and do what you're telling them mm. but can also chip in with their own ideas and you bounce back and forth it makes your original ideas better doesn't it oh yeah totally, collaboration yeah. is like the yeah. key yeah i've never been one of those people where you know you get old blokes are really like this as well it's that they get an idea and it might it might be it was the first thing that came into their head but because they thought of it no nope, that's it how we're doing it it has way. to be this immovable and i've never yeah. been like that because that is not how you get good results no you like this is what I think. Got any ideas to add? And Mark would be like, yeah, we could do this. And I'm like, 
Excellent. Yeah, you're right. You know, and that's how it, how it works. Two minds are better than one, aren't they? So Absolutely, man. And, that's how, and it's such that's a rush as well. It's such a rush. Like, I love those all-night edit sessions. Yeah. You can you can feel your vision coming together. Yeah. You know, obviously, as an artist, you get that, but it's it's a different experience because it's more solitary because it's just you and you see the, the thing grow. But yeah. it's that idea of having someone else to to collaborate and create with. I fucking love it. Yeah. Yeah, that's... that's. Uh... Is that your proudest video moment then? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Here, yeah. So what I was going to say is... Um, so that came out in 2004, and I think I was 27 at the time. And that, I mean, that was by far the... the I mean, people who, who, you know, knew me and had seen me skate, when, when that came out, they were... A lot of people were like, wow... Like I, I didn't think you could do that sort of thing. Not, not like it wasn't like mind blowing, but you know, it, it, it it's was, special. It was it's reasonable, special. yeah. And it was like it's quite a long part. You know, you could you could get your teeth into it. It, it, it was full part. And um, what I thought I was like, sick. This is brilliant. And then we started filming almost immediately for what would become the first death video, which is Escape from Boredom. And I was like, well, I made this part of Schizophrenia. It was this good. So, wow, I can't, you know, I'm going to make something that's even better. But what I didn't realise is that that was my time. That was my, that was, that was the best that I had. That was, I, I wasn't going to get any better. And I, at the time, you, you, well, I certainly didn't, I had no idea that that was, <laughs> you know, it wasn't like noticeably Oh, I'm shit now. You know, I've, I've put out plenty of parts since that I am quite proud of. Um, uh, but that that really was my special time, and I couldn't beat it. Mm-hmm. Um, I and think so, every athlete and creative has those moments, don't yeah. they? Where all the yeah. the stars align, yeah. and everything's just right. Yeah, I mean, if you, I mean. I'm not going to be comparing myself to either of these two people, but I think you can see it with like Mark Gonzalez. It was video days with Pat Duffy. It was questionable video, you know, and they, you know, it's only people like, I suppose Danny Way and Tony Hawk. They just kept going and going again. But I mean, obviously (laughs) that, I mean, you might as well be talking about a different sport. If you can compare them to me. But what I'm saying is, most people they have their most mortals their moment. and it it would be a real skill to be able to recognize when your time is because it would kind of like prepare you for what comes next but there you go that that's that's an interesting one i, I noticed it it was that that's how it went down but anyway so after that there was um yeah we did escape from boredom and we did better than life that came out that's five years later and then there was uh uh, ordinary madness and then we just did into the void it just i just got the dvd this week actually nice so um yeah that's kind of the evolution of the actual real death videos there's just those four but there's the other two that came first which are affiliated so you you kind of got to have the whole set to really have all the pieces of the puzzle death's yeah. just the best design as well like i had trucker caps all throughout my sort of teenage years and mm-hmm. even up till two years ago when I first met Dane, he gave me one right. in the shop as well. I just love 
the design who came up with the design just the idea of the skull uh nick yeah, yeah. nick it's all his his thing yeah yeah and they're still going strong yeah well as strong as a british skateboard yeah. company can be going in this uh in this uh financial climate shall we say mm, and cultural climate yeah the world's changed a lot hasn't it yeah yeah it really has yeah uh, let's talk about traveling, Dan, because that's, I think, your... Would you, would you say it's on par with your love of skateboarding or equal and hand-in-hand hand or um, even surpasses your love of skateboarding? It seems to be a major fascination in your life. Well, I don't know about if something's going to surpass my love of skateboarding, but it's certainly going to become more... Travel is going to be more accessible when I'm 65. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. I can keep doing that <laughs> if I'm still You've got alive. the long game in mind. Yeah, so... Um, You've been all over the world, 70 countries you were telling me earlier. Um, something like that, yeah. It's, I think it's, it, might be, it might be over 70, it might be just over. But um, yeah, I've, I've, I've ticked some off for sure, yeah. Let's talk about some of your, your highlights, some unlikely destinations as well. Uh, I did this evening with Dom Jolly last night. I was mm. telling you he's got a book called The Dark Tourist. Mm. And you were like, yeah, I've been to Chernobyl too. Yeah, I've been to North Korea too. Yeah. Um, would they be top two in this sort of most weird and wonderful? Could anywhere uh, out yeah. weird those two? Yeah. I mean, to, it's kind of like a sort of a... It's becoming more of a sort of a standard thing. To say, oh, yeah, I've been to Chernobyl. Yeah. But it's it's just mental. Yeah. it's it's Well, not, not so much... When did you go? You've been there twice, have you? I actually have been to Chernobyl twice, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hardcore. When was the first time? What year? Uh, the first time we went, we went on a, oh God, don't ask me the year. I'm not good. When Roughly? It gets past 2000. Um, so it's pre 2000. No, 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 no. It was like 2000 and, uh, it was 2010. Right. May 2010, I think. There you go. So myself and Moggins, we went to meet up with my f two Russian friends, which I met when I did the Trans-Siberian and they, um, <clears throat> they they've got hookups in basically the, any ex-soviet union country basically so we met up with them and then they took us around the ukraine um on a 10-day skate trip which was amazing it's it's yeah the ukraine it's it's as it's kind of like going to siberia you know it, it it's it's most of it is basically as it was when it was the Soviet Union before the Iron Curtain fell, yeah, 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 it really is. And then, but we st we we um, I'd found out you could do this trip to Chernobyl, and I was like hell bent on that. I, I must do this, um, because I remember when it happened when I was a kid, probably about nine or something when it happened, and they were saying, you know, don't go out in the rain, and they were saying don't don't drink milk, and you know, because it's the cows have eaten the drunk you know they've they're infected yeah they've uh yeah ingested mm -hmm. um the fallout whatever anyway so i yeah well i we, i i don't know it, we we booked it and 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 we you know we got the bus to chernobyl on, on the, the, the the tour coach and um you you go in through the through the gates of the exclusion zone and <clears throat> <laughs> excuse me and then the the, the coach stops it, it drives in and you see all the the old kind of um 
wooden houses that have, you know where people used to live and they're all just abandoned and and the, the further you go towards Chernobyl the, the the more of them there are and it's all overgrown and there's you know there's this place where this you know, full-size trees that are coming out the road and yeah and then you you can sign and see the, the power station you, you, uh, you, you, the coach kind of turns the corner and, and you see it coming up and it's it's sinister looking but not as sinister looking as as it probably should look you know but it, it's you know a, a massive great big abandoned nuclear power station from soviet times it, it you know it's, it's pretty good value for money you know when you see it and anyway it pulls up out the front and it's it it's basically in front there's this it's only a few yards really between you and reactor number four which is the one that blew up yeah and caused it all and you get out and you can hire Geiger counters and loads of people in our group. You know, it's a full coach. Loads of people have got these Geiger counters. They get out. First thing everybody does beep, is, beep, 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 is turn on the Geiger counters and they all go. <laughs> and then, you know, it really hits you. That, oh, this is actually a bad idea. Right. You know, yeah. This yeah. Is yeah. Real. Yeah. Yeah. This could be. Yeah. damaging yeah. to my long-term but you're, personal you're, you're health. Still kinda, yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> you're still kind of confused why they do this tour there. And, yeah, and yeah, they yeah. like kind of say, oh, it's all right. and whatever. It's dangerous, but safe enough. And yeah. you're like, is it though? Yeah. And I think, I think that is the fascination is, you know, like going in a cage underwater and diving with sharks is only dangerous to a point because there's such reinforced health and safety, right? That you know yeah. that although there's a shark right there and that's kind of terrifying, you're sort of yeah. also comfortable in the knowledge that you're safe. And I think with excursions <laughs> yeah. like that, it's like this actually could be dodgy. Yeah. Like there's nothing certain yeah. about this. Yeah, well they, and that's the rush, right? That's the thrill. Yeah, well, it's the radi- radiation is the invisible enemy, yeah. they, they say. You know, you can't, you can't see it, you can't feel it. Um, but yeah, so anyway, so, y- you know, you check out the... Um, uh, you know the, the the power station. There's still people working there, dismantling things, and 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 it's just, supposedly it's like two thousand people that still work on the on the site. <laughs> and um, but everywhere, well, certainly on this first tour that we went on, everywhere you went, he would be kind of rushing you. Like, yes, yeah. We're not hanging about. Yeah, yeah. We're not hanging about. Come on. <clears throat> and I think maybe because the second time I went, there was none of that. We were literally just doing whatever we wanted. And um, I think maybe the, the regulations were stricter or I don't know. But anyway, um, and then and then he, he takes you to, it drives to Pripyat, which is the, well, they call it a nuclear city. It's the city that was built for the workers of Chernobyl. And it is, it's a, I think it's at a 40,000 um, population. And that is, I mean, that's that's the gold. Yeah. That was the one that was evacuated and is as was then, and it's just been left well, it, to. Well, I mean, it would have been pretty much as was, but um, what happened is when the I think it's so that that went off in uh, April '86 is when Chernobyl blew up, and then I think Ukraine left the so- the Soviet Union broke up in 1991, and then I think. So I think probably from eighty six to ninety one, it the, probably all the apartments still had all their furniture, children's toys, all this stuff, which had been really creepy. Yeah, like a post apocalyptic yeah. 
But when the Soviet Horizon. Union broke up, uh, I think this is right. I think this is when it was. Uh, there was a kind of a real. Um, I, don't, I, don't know, I don't know how to say lawless time, but there was like political um, turmoil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't think there was a proper um, president or anything. Yeah. Um, so no government, no law. So yeah. So the basically the the. Uh, exclusion zone wasn't properly uh, enforced and so Pripyat was looted so all the manholes are, covers are taken and the radiators are ripped out and the leads off the roofs so all the buildings leak and you know it's all right mess um, so there's only bits bits and bobs that are as were there's, there's enough to really get the gist and it's pretty creepy but um, it's not as good as it would have been because mm. I think for about three years in the early nineties there was there's people just going in and out and, and you know and and selling all this massively uh, radioactive metal yeah 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 people, you know? <laughs> <clears throat> and um be careful what you buy on the black market eh yeah um <laughs> so I mean it yeah it but it's value for money they take you to, to there's like a empty Olympic sized pool and uh, there's the you know the port with the, the ships are just there and and um the uh, uh, football stadium and uh some of the creep the creepiest one is probably the um uh primary school yeah with uh, all the dom sh- says that in his yeah book. and there's this one it's like the cafeteria and and somebody's tipped out all these gas masks on the floor children's gas masks there's just like a sea of them and there's some things that are set up like so people have set up like a kid's desk in the hall with a book on it or whatever you know like a few things which are obviously not yeah but i mean it's just crazy and it, everything seems to be painted that kind of mid-green color that all soviet stuff for some reason is always painted even the hospital everything's got this like these green walls and all the paints like really peeling off and all the parquet floor in the gym's gone and there's all these you know uh, Cyrillic signs and, and 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 stuff left over from Soviet times and and, and hammer and sickles and hammer and sickles <laughs> are basically the theme in this room that we're in. Yeah, got pieces on the wall. Yeah, I noticed yeah. those balls with it in there. You've oh, I made your, those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lenin collars there. Yeah, I yeah. love it. I mean, it's a fascinating, fascinating part of the world with fascinating history. Uh, I did yeah. Russian history at A level at college, and ah. the just. What I love about destinations like that and places like that is it's so far removed from our Western world, isn't it? It's so far removed from anything we know as people who live oh, in yeah. an that's English the, democracy. <laughs> it is, isn't it? Because it's yeah. like an alien world. Yeah. And it's real, like, cultural exchange. Mm. Well, maybe there's not that much exchanging going on, but you're certainly absorbing and soaking up and, Trying. Yeah. and learning. <laughs> What about North Korea? Because that is probably one of the last places on Earth that so few people really know anything about yeah because it's one of the most secretive places in the world isn't it in terms of the information they let in and out yeah and you did a book on it as well right you did like a photography yeah yeah i i well when i was at uni i um i i did my my final year project was uh on north korea because i thought to myself like you know they always say you know when you're thinking about doing your project, think about something that you're really into. And I was thinking, yeah, 
obviously, but it also needs to be some something that's sort of massive interest to other people, so that you know it. It, it has appeal. Sell, yeah. yeah, yeah, they they're just you know. So I thought, right, I'll go to North Korea. Which, Which an 18, 19, 20-year-old probably wouldn't have done, would they? I and don't I think, think that's they could when, have afforded it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's when being a mature student is a very beneficial thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it paid off. But I'm not sure how mature off. I was. But yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I was being kind. Old. Yeah, old. Um, so, yeah. Is it expensive getting over there? Well, uh, I think I went there for like... I think I was in North Korea for about eight days and then you can only fly there from China. So you've got to go to China for a couple of days, either side of your trip. Right. It's pretty like a, a t- 10 or 12 day trip. It's about probably with the flights to China and the accommodation in China as well, it's probably about two grand. But you literally, when you're in North Korea, that's, you, that's it. it there's not you don't well you can't go to a shop and buy anything anyway they won't it's just not allowed so you can't buy anything um well they you can buy something like they took us to um some souvenir shops which are sort of heavily kind of kim jong il themed yeah <laughs> and they they keep they constantly keep taking you to these bookshops which uh with like I guess socialist material and yeah. books that are allegedly written by the great Kim Il Sung, yeah. Kim Jong Il, or Kim Jong Un. <laughs> so, um, I've got a book actually, and it's like I can't remember what it's called now, but I mean it's just nonsense if you try to read it. But it's basically the so their political uh, theory is called the Juche. That's their, even though they're effectively they're just communists, they don't. They've since the Soviet Union broke up and they don't fund, they don't send aid to North Korea anymore. Russia doesn't. They've kind of rejected their uh, Marxist Leninism and, and you know, the, the the statues of Lenin have gone and all, all this sort of stuff. So they don't call themselves communists anymore. They, they're, they're, they're uh, it's the Juche, which is, was given to them by Kim Jong-il. Yeah. Uh, sorry, um, Kim Il-sung. The founder of, yeah. of, of, you know. So, um, where was I? Uh, <laughs> what was I saying? You, you're saying that you really can't buy anything, but you go into these bookshops. Oh, and... yeah, yeah, yeah. So I got I bought this book, and it's it's basically it's, it, the laws of the Juche written by Kim Jong, uh, Kim Il-sung, but it's rewritten by Kim Jong-il when he came to power. So it's even more nonsensical. But, yeah, yeah. Um, Basically, you you get there and you 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 can't walk around on your own. You you have guides. So constant supervision at all yeah. times when yeah. you're out in public. Yeah. So uh, my group was was uh, we had a minivan. It's probably it was quite big as well. It's probably about a ten or twelve seater minivan. And uh, there's a driver. There's two guides, both female, in their mid twenties. Um, or at least one of them was got a guide. The other one could well have been in the secret police, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She was so suspicious. Um, and then uh, there was just three of us in the group. So it's me and this uh, couple from Guildford that took early retirement. But they were really cool. And it was just the three of us. And they sat, they all kind of sat at the front. And I sat at the back. And I had, you know, I was like, right, I'm, I need to get the goods here. 
Yeah, because you're for, on an art my, project. For my final year photography project, which I'm going to do in the dark room. So I had a film camera and I, I, I purposely took uh, a really fast black and white film so it comes out really grainy and, and it, it almost accentuates how, um, you know... Stuck in time. Exactly, and, yeah. yeah. But because it was really a fast film, I could lean out the, the van when we were going through, you know, poor areas that we're not supposed to photograph. And when they were nattering at the front of the van, I could snap a photo which came out clear because the, the film was so fast. And it was so sunny. So I got some great results and, and photos I wasn't supposed to get. Were you sort of told in no uncertain terms, don't take pictures of this, don't take pictures of this? Yeah. Well, what they, one of the they things. They lay out the rules pretty the clearly, do they? they? said, yeah. So, so they picked us up at the airport and uh, they, they're all sort of nice and yeah, it's perfectly normal here and all the rest of it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Are, they, are then, they keen to reinforce that? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And then by. <laughs> Before we even went to the hotel, we had to go to the main um, statues of Kim Il-sung and Kim Jong-il. Uh, and they are massive and they're, I think they're bronze, but they're rather than, you know, if you have a bronze here, it's all tarnished. These are like polished Immaculate. every day, head to toe. Like, and they look like they're kind of made of copper. They're like, just, they're spotless. And there's guards guarding them. And there's people, there's, there's uh, <clears throat> groups of school children and people who have come from, in, in coaches from other cities and they come to give praise to the to the leaders, you know, and it's it's a real thing. Um, and we, we went straight to there and they said to us, one rule that we have is if you take a photo of the leaders, that's perfectly all right. We want you to do that. But it has to be head to toe. You can't crop it. Mm-hmm. It has to have his feet and his head in it. And I, at the time, I was, well, I still am. I'm really into David Hockney and doing joiners. And I had this Polaroid camera. And there was, I waited for a sort of a gap. And the guy, the, these two guides, they would just, they would kind of like be nattering together and that, not really paying attention half the time. So I waited for them to kind of drift off the thing. And then I started snapping this joiner. And the guard saw me and he just reported me straight to them. And they said, oh, can we see the the photos? And they they said, you're going to have to give, this, give us the photos. So I reluctantly handed over my Polaroids. But I'd already got a digital one. Nice. Anyway, so I did get my joiner. And they like, they like, have you got Do any they go through your camera like at the airport at the end? And I guess if you've got film, they can't uh, check them. Well, I hid my memory card. They didn't actually go through it. Right. But they did keep, kind of keep asking me about it, this one guide and um they were kind of thrown by the fact that i had a film camera and they couldn't check yeah, it. yeah 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 so no just, one uses those saying, anymore oh, i've just got this film camera so you know um so it's that and and then we went to the hotel and the hotel's uh especially designed for westerners and there's all this stuff in the basement like it's designed to keep you occupied it's like casino that, which i didn't think would be permitted anywhere in the country it's like a casino um there's a karaoke room cinema uh, uh swimming pool bowling uh, alley but bo- yeah bowling yeah. alley oh. i think the hotel you're describing is the one where dom jolly stayed oh, it will as well. be yeah it yeah. will be oh, is they literally just one <coughs> for westerners <laughs> uh well 
there might be others, but this is pretty much your go-to yeah. one. It's quite, it's about 40 floors and it's got a revolving restaurant. Yes, that's exactly the one. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, like I say, it's on an island. What was the food like for you? Because Dom's vegetarian, so he said he just literally had to eat omelets the entire time and they'd come oh, out like right. a pile of turd. What, what did you find the food to be um, like? Yeah, I didn't have any complaints. Because a major thing for me with travel is I like to eat great food abroad and Cuba was yeah. a real letdown for that. Like a, yeah. an amazing place, but yeah. the food there was fucking shit. One of the most expensive meals I've ever had was in Cuba. Really? Yeah. So here's a question for you. What is the most expensive meal you've ever had? Mine is a reindeer burger and chips and a <laughs> pint of beer in Iceland. Oh, and right. it was the English equivalent of fifty pounds burger chips. Right, pint. I had, and it was basic. It wasn't even good. I had like a, a, so my wife, when she worked in an office, she got, um, she was told by her boss, treat yourself to a meal, and I'll and and I'll pay for it, sort of thing. So we went and we tried to have the most. We had. Like the most expensive thing we could find in Margate, and it was in the Sands Hotel, I think. I see most expensive meals on your own back door. Yeah, and it was like a massive steak, but it had truffles with it and stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's pretty good, but I mean, it's, I don't know what it was like, I don't know, 50 or 60 quid, I suppose. But yeah, yeah, there you go. Yeah. Where's your favorite country on earth, Dan, that you visited? Uh, Or could you not pick one? Oh, man. God, it's, it's a few, probably for different reasons. Uh, I mean, uh, Israel was amazing. And we had like, I always say it's, it was the best day of my life. It's that when we went to the, um, we went to the Dead Sea. Yeah. And we sort of swam in the Dead Sea and then we. And you can literally just float. Can yeah, you? it's just yeah. amazing. You could go sleep on it. It's insane. Yeah. And then, um, and then we found, like we found these uh, this empty water park and we skated there and, and some other stuff and it was just about the most amazing day it was like the raddest day and then I think we drove out to the desert and then you could like look across to Jordan you could sort of see Jordan and then we all sort of like we're drinking we was like there's basically in a kind of basically the desert and we all drove the van out and then we all kind of sat on the roof of the van I think this higher van drinking uh i guess we're drinking beers i don't really drink beer but because we're in the middle of the desert i think i made them <laughs> is there any reason <laughs> why do you not drink at all i just don't just like not, beer just, oh, right, so i've never liked beer i've got like a child's palate <laughs> so what's so, your go-to alcoholic drink uh well i don't really care about it to be honest so i don't really i mean i there's like a really good it's a couple of really good pubs here that have you go in and they've got like 20 different kinds of um, flavors of cider. So I, I'm kind of, I'll have that or maybe like, a, I like cocktails and, and stuff like that sometimes. But yeah, I just, I could take it or leave it to be honest, boozy. Yeah. yeah. So you've never been a big drinker? Uh, yeah, I mean, I've been a total nightmare when I was younger, you know, and just drinking like three liters of cider or, and then just, you know, like, wrecking the party getting thrown out and you know falling asleep in the road that sort of thing i mean i've done all that yeah but i mean i just don't really care about it anymore yeah i mean i've never liked alcohol i've you know 
when you're young, you force it down, don't you, to with as much sort of fizzy pop in it or whatever as you can to to kind of you know get the end result. <laughs> yeah, God, I wish I didn't like alcohol. I fucking love the stuff. Right, that's the problem. Right. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I've never been into just the taste or I, the effect. I, yeah, I'm not. I, I'm not. I mean, I'll have a drink sometimes. You know, my wife she really likes. Um, what does she like? Gin, gin. So we we have all different types of gin and tonic in the house <laughs> and stuff. So I sometimes have that or a bit of wine or whatever. But I mean, it's very few and far between for me because I, I just I'd rather have a cup of tea or a smoothie or milkshake or something like that. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, but I mean I, I don't like coffee. I'm quite lucky. I don't like beer. I don't like coffee. I cannot bear smoking. Um, and I, um, have never been into drugs, so, yeah. An anomaly in the 90s skate scene then, probably, mm. or not well, so much. Well, nearly everybody that we ever lived with pretty much, amazingly, didn't really, like, we occasionally live with somebody, like, maybe have a joint in the garden at, at night or something, but. Um, never really. So that these houses were never, the, were never the scene of like, absolute carnage parties for days. Oh, they, they were, but not. I mean, not on like not fueled a, by not on a Matt Pritchard level. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> nothing like that, you know. But I mean, that, that's that's a good thing about him because he, he, yeah. When you like, I don't know. I associate like say doing cocaine or something. I associate that with chavs. That's like to me. That's that is for chavs. That's like a chav thing, doing or, or hard drugs or whatever. But like, you could be somewhere. I mean, maybe not so much now, but you know, Pritch in his heyday, there'd be there would be things like that going on, and he'd be going crazy. But he wouldn't be like trying to get you to do it. No, he wouldn't no, be no. Trying to enforce it on anyone. Yeah, yeah, and he wouldn't. He'd still. I mean, he'd be drunk or whatever, but he'd still be. In, it, he's still got this great character in it and it was just, you know, an enhanced, so you could still be having a great time and it didn't really matter that, I mean, there'd be some hang, sometimes there'd be some hangers on like weirdos that hanging onto his coattails or something, but you know, like him, him doing it, that was just something that he did and, and I could sort of, I didn't, partake but i i didn't particularly disapprove think, or... i didn't particularly think any less of him yeah you know um so yeah i mean i get i'm i'm just trying to sort of explain where i where, where i'm coming sit. from where i yeah, sit. Yeah. yeah it's just uh not really my thing but i do i tell you i've got a sweet tooth my god like, oh, yeah. that's your vice is it i mean you, they say yeah they say everyone's got to have a vice i mean it's just like i don't know how i haven't got diabetes to i've be got several and sugar is one of mine too i yeah. love dessert is my favorite dish <laughs> of the day <laughs> we're talking about some really gnarly stuff on this on this episode <laughs> aren't we yeah the oh, hard yeah, hitting not, issues man I this chocolate ice cream cake. jesus oh. <laughs> ben and jerry's i'm fucking crazy for the stuff that's my crap yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I have greatly improved my diet, to be honest. Like now, I, I like I've tried to really cut down on oils and things like that, and have more. Like at least I, I don't really eat. I've never liked vegetables, but like I have at least have a lot of fruit now and stuff. And and um, 
Yeah, so I'm I'm way more healthier than I, than I was, I suppose. But I still. I, I guess it's I, something I've you have to, to do as you get older, isn't it? You've got to have the chocolate. Yeah, oh, me too, <laughs> dude. Me too. Um, I want to ask you this to finally sort of, I guess, wrap up the conversation is to um, bring it back home to skateboarding, uh, right. the importance of that whole culture and <clears throat> sport, you know, to mm. you, what it's given you in your life. Yeah. If you can. Yeah. Well, I, I summarize. Because it really is, I think, something which, if you're really in it, it's the same thing with punk rock. I liken it again. Like me, I will be a punk rocker until I'm dead. It's just in me for life. Mm -hmm. It's shaped my personality, my sense of humor, my politics. Mm. It's just, it's so ingrained in everything that I stand for and love. And I feel like skateboarding is the same for people like yourself Mm. and Dayton and and Joycey and all those guys as well. Like, it's just, it's a lifelong thing that's in your blood, isn't it, right? If, If you get the bug yeah it's in you so there is a couple of ways of looking at it so i could i mean i i can quite easily sit here and i could say that that yeah if if pretty much everything i've got it it, it's uh you know a positive experience has come through skateboarding you know travel dozens and dozens of friends in every major city in in the country and 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 you know across across europe and 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 the united states and and um opportunities to to do stuff and and just really live life you know as a as a as a you know in my youth to to really like um you know there's never i never felt like i'm not doing it you know because i was doing it i was living it i was going where i wanted to go I was meeting people that I wanted to meet um, and still am. Um, uh, and, you know, um, my, I think my, my, when I went to uh, uni and I, I, I mean, I passed my, I did four years at uni, did fine art degree and I got a first and I put everything I had into it. But I, I think that, my vision I, I think i was able to do better projects because of people that i'd met in skating and, and things that i'd seen and and things that my eyes had been open to and and just amazing people that i'd met and i didn't think much of it at the time but when you when you um hang around with when you meet normal people that have never left their hometown and they've never wouldn't even think about doing any of these things you realize how amazing it was that you found skating you hadn't you had a a means and an excuse and a reason and a desire to go all over the country and actually know what the north of england's like not just say oh oh yeah the north of england's a shithole well have you ever been there no you know, and 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 not, and not be biased. To, you know, learn, not be biased against people or have prejudice because you you know so many different, um, um, you know, uh, cultures, uh, all this stuff. I mean, it's just the list is endless to to what what it's opened my eyes to and and the opportunities that I've had, and I could say to you rather than, you know growing up and 
living next door to Dave Allen and finding skateboarding and finding the world through that, I could say to you, oh, you know, I wish maybe I had grown up next to somebody who worked on the stock exchange and they, I'd followed them into a, <laughs> you know, a really good job and a career. Um, because, I mean, I haven't, I, I, I haven't really got a career and I, um, now I'm a bit older, I'm skating a bit less, I've got a house and stuff. I would kind of like to transition into something that that's uh, you know quite fulfilling as a job. Whereas for most of my life, uh, well, I had a, a pretty good job in skateboarding anyway before I moved to Margate. Um, uh, but I, um, for most of my life, I, I you just work to you don't really question it you because you, you're gonna it's it's all for sk- going skating work to skate yeah so um what are you doing right now for work uh well i do what i've always done on and off is that i'm a golf course greenkeeper and that's what i trained uh as at college so that pays pretty well though right um, well yeah but i mean it pays enough, just, I guess, but I mean, it's it's you never get rich from it, so you know, there's not much of a ladder to climb. So I would, I think, I, I would like something that's a bit more fulfilling on the work front, if I'm honest. Um, but other than that, I mean, God, I wouldn't be without skateboarding. <laughs> and I plus, I, you know, I managed to, I you know, I've, I've got a pool in the garden, so. You know, I, how many I, pools have you had now? What number is that? I've only shared two myself. Okay, but yeah, I mean, but you've been I guess involved two's, in the creation. Two, of... Two's quite impressive in yeah, the UK. It certainly is. Considering one of them was on a rented house, <laughs> that's pretty good. But I mean, like, I bought. Um, I, no, I watched the new anti-hero um, video the other day, and um, and I, it it got me sort of fired up to skate, and I was thinking, oh yeah, that looks good. Like I'd love to do a. I'd really like to do a frontside grind on, on concrete coping. And I was like, oh, hang on. Yeah, I can. I, th- yeah, yeah, I can. Yeah, I'm going to go and do that now in the garden. In you know what garden, I mean? So like, yeah. you know, I've got this, uh, I've got skateboarding on tap, you know, whenever I need it. So that's, that's, that's good. And um, plus, um, for example, when I moved here, I didn't really, I knew Powley and, and a couple of other people, but I, moved here kind of blindly i didn't know anyone and i went to the skate park it's like a fairly good indoor park here and i walked to the skate park it's on a tuesday night which is skate night and in winter and it's really busy in there but i didn't know anyone and i it was like kind of even though obviously i've been around skating forever but it's sort of like a little bit daunting you know i've moved here i'm in at the deep it's end. like you're the new kid at school yeah and um, after about 10 minutes of being on the platform of the bowl, somebody came up to me and we just, and they just introduced themselves and then we just hit it off like a house on fire. And then he gave me a ride home and he's like pretty much my best mate now. And we skate all the time and, and we've got a good little crew here. And it was just like that easy. I just went to a skate park for 10 minutes and then I, the door was open to, to, to meet, does, you know, a couple of dozen people which are you know and then 
people come around. We, I mean, we had a barbecue here last night, you know, and just skated the pool. And like my friend brings his kids around and they skate as well. And it's just like, it, you know, it's a really good, good little thing. Um, and it's just so easy. Whereas you forget that a, a regular person... Especially they, once they you get to that. a certain age as well. And I think a lot of people really worry about becoming single at a certain age. So like, fuck, yeah. how am I going to meet a potential new partner if I'm like 35, 40 and, yeah. you know, all my friends are married and there, there is that kind of like nine to five normal quote unquote lifestyle really removes you from a social circle of like-minded people, doesn't it? Because yeah. you give up on those more childhood, say, follies that actually should extend into adulthood. And the idea that you can, as you say, just walk into a skate park on a Tuesday night and within mm. 10 minutes make a friend for life through this community yeah, is a beautiful thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, another thing is, I mean, I've, I've, I don't really take for granted how precious it is because, I mean, there's sometimes when, say, in the dead of winter, I'm kind of tired and I don't really want to go up the skate park or whatever, but I do. I, I like, no, you got, you, you have to skate at least once this week, you know, and I might even have a crap skate, but I know that I might have one crap skate in for, and there's like a thousand really good ones, you know, after it. And I just know that, I know that all those people that gave up skating in, in like the early nineties or whenever it was, and they get, and they had a family or whatever, and they literally gave up skating for 20 years and they've come back now. I know that most of them regret it. And they must have, in that 20 years that they were given up, you know, I'm talking about sort of like the middle, middle-aged shred community, that sort of age group. They must have been looking at, you know, they must have been looking at a crack in the pavement or a curb or, you know, they must have been looking at the street as, as skate spots that whole time if, if they if the, if it was the fire was still in them and they came back after 20 years it i mean as a skateboarder if you really are a skateboarder it never leaves you never stop looking at oh i could maybe get up on that wall and and then i could ollie off you know and and do this and and there's a rail you, you know you, you're just looking for oh is that ditch skatable is there is that concrete ditch there on the side of the field you know what I mean? Like, oh, is that, could you build a DIY spot? You know, it's like you, it just never leaves you. So, yeah. The whole world's a potential skate park, isn't it? Yeah. So basically, yeah, what I'm saying is, is I, I, it's really, the older you get, especially you, I think you need skating if, you know, for your own sanity and for the exercise and, and, and it becomes more of a social thing rather than constantly just in your own zone working on a trick you 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 enjoy the company of people on the platform or the mini ramp or whatever it might be and i think it's just really really important that you don't suddenly especially in older life when you've got all these responsibilities and job and you're tired and you work and do this that you don't you've got to keep it going because if you don't you're you're done for you it's got to keep going i mean i'm 43 now it's, I've got to keep going. For, I mean, I mean, I'm making it sound like it's a chore. It's not. I mean, no. But, but what you mean is you can't let it go. I can't. I can't. I am a skateboarder. My entire life has been dedicated to it. Or my life since I was 11 has been dedicated to it. If 
I was to just stop, I've I've lost. You know, it's it can't happen. So yeah, for better or for worse, you know, if if that if if uh, if that prevents me from getting my job on the stock exchange or, <laughs> or whatever, so be it. It's going to have to be. I mean, I'd you know, be nice to have both, but. <laughs> nice to be a fucking spike jones yeah yeah but yeah so yeah that it's really important so yeah yeah dan i've thoroughly enjoyed chatting to you my friend uh yeah had a good time thanks uh yeah i mean i just feel like i could have gone on for uh indefinitely really but well that's good that's a good uh, sign thank you dude thank you for your time yeah uh well i mean wow thanks for trekking all the way out to margate to it's been this. a pleasure to visit the town of margate awesome. on a day such as this we had a yeah. little barbecue earlier nice one dan thanks mate yeah. all right ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.